0: Welcome to the Expansion Candidate Podcast, where we talk all things Big 12 football. I'm your host, Ian Boyd, and today I'm joined by the ultimate guy for talking all things Big 12 football, David Ubbin, who writes on Sports on Earth, is the creator of Flyover Country, which is a new project that'll be devoted to Big 12 coverage. I started to get to know David when he was running the Big 12 blog on ESPN, which was a while ago. and. David, tell us about what you're up to these days with Big 12 coverage.
1: Yeah. So, you know, for, for, for sports on earth, I kind of do a little bit of everything. But for, for, Fly, for Flyover Country, you know, I, I think we've all seen uh, the, the layoffs have affected the business. And and it, it, it's, you know, even though it's, it's, you know, been bad for writers and, and it's tough to, to stay employed, even if you're good at your job these days. Uh, you know it's unfortunate for readers too. you know there's a there's a stronger hunger for for coverage out there and especially specific coverage, I think especially the the conference model of coverage than ever. And you know it got really popular in the last ten years and and now it's been it's proving really hard to staff that. you know staffs are smaller than ever. Um, and so I kind of want to fill that void. and obviously I've got you know my expertise and and uh, and contacts in this league. and so I just want to put out the best product that I can, you know, producing something every day and the season's getting ready to get out there and, and get started, and uh, I'm excited about it. So it's, it's on the uh, the Patreon platform, um, so check it out on Flyover Country. You can find it on my uh, on my Twitter account, and uh, feel free to contact me if you got any questions. It's It's been a fun project so far. We're about two weeks in, and I think it's really going to heat up once the season starts.
0: I'm so glad you're doing this because the Big 12 is, in my opinion, one of the most fun leagues to follow, to cover, to write about. But because the media markets in the Big Twelve are not that big, it just does not get the same attention that uh, you know you get like the SEC and the Big Ten. And uh, I'm sure like the Athletic, I haven't read any of their stuff yet, but it's hard to believe that they're not going to cater more heavily to you know the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC. For those of us who like the Big Twelve, this David is such a good guy to support because he's he knows the league and he's been around for a while and he's actually devoted to writing about it but about the league there's some problems facing the league not just in terms of having a more limited media market than some of those other leagues how do you see things going for the big 12 with the playoffs this year
1: i mean anything can happen i think in this playoff era it's it's really interesting that i i love what the committee has done through three years you know it's a thankless job and and generally you're going to have uh people be angry at them, but I think they've done a great job they've been consistent. But I think the biggest thing is they have completely changed, uh, how college football works. And that is that they are valuing wins. And so that's where, where the big 12 comes in that, that, that things can get a little bit difficult. And that's where that perception hurts. And that, you know, the big 12 has five ranked teams and obviously Oklahoma's up there. High uh, Oklahoma state's up there. High Kansas state is, is reasonably high up there. Um, But, you know, the Big 12, it it struggles to, you know, they're they're not going to be in a situation, you know, like the SEC has been in in the past or the ACC or the Big 10, where you've got, you know, three top five teams, you know, four top ten teams. And I think that hurts the league uh, ultimately. And perceptions part of that. You know, they haven't won a a playoff game ever. They haven't played for a national title since 2009. So if you're looking at this year, I mean, clearly the Big 12 is, I think, the the obvious candidate to not – uh, get a playoff team uh but you know if you're sitting there with one loss the the, the thing that, that that really is interesting and very different is it used to matter who you lose to because that affected the human polls but it's pretty clear now that the the committee doesn't care who you lose to it cares who you beat you know I was talking to on another podcast and you know you look at K State for instance uh, obviously, not a great candidate for the for the playoff necessarily, but they would have a better chance of making the playoff if they lost to Kansas and won their other twelve games, including the Big Twelve title game, than if they went, you know, eleven and one, lost to Oklahoma State or something, and then went to the play, went to the Big Twelve championship and won. It's all about getting those quality wins, and so I don't love the Big 12s chances. Uh, it's 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 the past does affect it uh, just because the Big Twelve you know isn't going to have the same number of opportunities, but they do have some some big games in non conference. And if the Big Twelve is going to help its perception, uh, it comes down to to winning some of those games and, and pulling some surprises.
0: The problem as I see it for the Big Twelve is that uh, you know people like to trash the league for not having top teams, and there seems to be this kind of uh, bad fan logic where people will be like. I think you could reasonably say that the the best teams in the big Ten ACC or SEC in a given year have been like almost a shoe- in to be teams that would have won the big twelve if they'd played in the big twelve but while the big 12 doesn't have any of those nationally elite teams there hasn't you know in the, in this decade really uh-huh. it has a ton of teams that are like in the tier just below that and so yeah. like there's like a uh, lobster in a in a bucket effect where like it's hard for any one team to get above the others because they'll all drag it down with the round robin scheduling and just the lack of uh clear advantage for any one team
1: yeah and i think too I, I think some of that you know you look at the sec last year you know the sec i think people are starting to 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 wise up to the fact that it has gone significantly downhill in the last two to three years I think some of those mostly bad coaching hires if i was if i was you know giving a reason why um but I think you saw some of that, some of that mythologizing Alabama last year when they're just running through everyone. Yes, Alabama was probably the best team in the country last year. But the idea that they were head and shoulders above everyone else, I think it's pretty obvious that Clemson exposed that. Now I think there's only a handful of teams that can beat uh, Alabama just because of everything that it takes to beat them when it comes to offensive line, defensive line, being able to compete, com- compete on the off- or compete on the line of scrimmage. Um, but that's where the Big 12, you know, that's what makes it fun, I think, but that's also what has hurt it on the elite teams is, you know, you, you touched on it, the Big 12's had some borderline, you know, title worthy teams in the past. Oklahoma State 2011 sticks out. I guess you could throw Oklahoma in 2015 in there. I mean, they did go to the playoff. I, I was, you know, I'm a little skeptical of how good they ultimately were, but you're still talking about a team that, 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 you know, went, what was it, 11 and one and lost to to texas um so oklahoma's probably in that group i don't know that i would you know certainly either neither of neither of baylor's title teams are probably worthy um so they've had a handful of teams there but they've been exposed late in the year and or just worn down you know as well by playing so many good teams it's like the big 12 doesn't seem to spend a lot of time in the top five but they seem to live in the top 20
0: you know so there's a few games where the Big 12 can try to combat that national perception. You've got West Virginia draws Virginia Tech early in week one, which I, I think actually could be a big opportunity just because Virginia Tech, their quarterback kind of left them in the lurch when he uh-huh. went to the NFL. And I think in week two, you've got Oklahoma going to Ohio State, and that seems to me like a will probably end up hurting the perception of the league. Because I I just can't see Oklahoma going in there and coming out with an intact reputation and maybe not even an intact coaching staff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I think the Big 12, I wrote about this a little bit on Flyover Country the other day, but Big 12's bit off a little more than it could chew this year. Next year, I think the the non-conference schedule works out a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, Texas going out to USC, certainly they could could ambush them there. It's possible. That's Tom Harmon's specialty. Oh yeah, that one, that's a tough one. Yeah, but I mean, Ohio State. I, I I came away with you know, so I was I went to Oklahoma, Ohio State in person last year, and I came away from that game really just wowed because I think about how many times have we seen Oklahoma take the field where they just really looked like they could not compete athletically. They just didn't belong on the same field with the team. You know, uh, I I posed that question to some other people. Uh, this offseason, and um, both of the Clemson matchups kind of came up. The one in the Russell Athletic Bowl, and then the one yeah. in the playoff. But it was not nearly as pronounced. I, I do not think it was nearly as pronounced. I, I generally went all the way back to the, the USC Orange Bowl debacle. Like 12- <laughs> That's really the last time that we saw Oklahoma go on the field and just look like, you know, what it looks like when Oklahoma plays Iowa State, where it's just like, you guys just don't have the same caliber of athletes, um, size, speed. I mean, Curtis Samuel, I mean, it's like Curtis Samuel, it looked like if you put, you know, he made, you know, or Oklahoma made him look like Reggie Bush. You know, it looked like if you put, you know, Joe Mixon back on a high school field or something. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and so I, I just, yeah, them going up to Columbus again. I mean, obviously, this is not the same Ohio State team. I'm not a huge believer in JT Barrett, but, man. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a rough one for OU. I think Texas has a much higher chance of, of ambushing USC than Oklahoma does of, of beating Ohio State up there.
0: I might agree with that, and I actually even think that USC, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but the matchup is just such that my, my big takeaway from that Oklahoma-Ohio State game last year was just how unprepared... Oklahoma looked I remember Ohio State just killing them on some like designed quarterback runs where Oklahoma looked like they were shocked that JT Barrett was running the ball on third and four Mm -hmm. Uh, they had like some unbalanced formations that Oklahoma lined up against in like five different ways and none of them worked so just to see an Oklahoma defense come out on their own field in front of a primetime night it used to be like like a 2008 Texas Tech goes in there and uh, Oklahoma just sent the biggest statement I've ever seen, you know, being uh-huh. like six, 60 to 20 or something.
1: Yeah. The jump around game. That was yeah, step- the jump
0: around game. And then uh, just like, you know, 10 years later eight, and then eight years later and we're watching them just look completely lost and overmatched on their own field. in a game like that it was, it was kind of jarring USC, I think is legitimately going to be a very good team, but I can see Texas catching them just because Texas will have a, a new team, a new look, and uh, just what you said earlier about her, Herman's specialty is ambushing uh, these big games with uh, big game plans and getting his players to to just lay it all out on the field and then maybe a few trick plays or special teams plays. So I could, I could sort of see that, whereas Oklahoma just needs to earn back my trust in this kind of game.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, if they can keep that competitive and not look like they get – Either they don't belong on the same field. I honestly think that'd be positive for Oklahoma. Um, their schedule is just so brutal, um, but they can come out of that. I think feeling a lot better about themselves if, you know, they lose that game by single digits.
0: I do think though, there is an opportunity for Lincoln Riley. If say he doesn't have a lot of faith in Mike Stoops, and maybe he already has some doubts and he would rather Ruffin McNeil run the show. There is an opportunity in that if, Ohio state just obliterates his defense, then it would be really easy to pull the plug and, and make McNeil the man not Maybe. It on purpose. But.
1: You know, I, I hadn't considered a mid season. I think it's, I think it's not, I don't know that it's a given, but I would bet I would put it at what minus 500 that Mike Stoops is coaching somewhere else next year. Um, mid season, I think we'll see. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I hadn't considered that the possibility that he does that midseason, but I think they'd have to get absolutely blasted up to like fifty, sixty points, and just looking helpless. Um, I think, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, whatever works. But yeah, I mean, certainly there's not a more awkward coaching, uh, you know, coaches meeting in America than than Lincoln Riley, you know, at thirty three years old calling the shots for his ex boss's brother. That's a rarity. I need to look in the annals of college football and see if that's ever been the case ever. That's <laughs> that's just awkward.
0: I would look forward to that post if you if you found the details <laughs> on that
1: and how it played out, yeah,
0: yeah. what are are there any other uh, big non-conference games that you think could be pretty telling for the big twelve season?
1: Um you know you mentioned uh, West Virginia and, and Virginia Tech. I mean, that would be a huge win just because, I think West Virginia, I, I really don't know what to make of them. I'm really skeptical of them um, just because I think, you know, the biggest reason that I've heard that they're not worried about replacing, you know, so much talent on the defense is, well, we just did it last year. <laughs> well, okay, but there's this thing, you know, called regression to the mean that I think is probably more likely uh, to, to happen, you know, than that. Um, I think Baylor I- at Duke will be a sneaky, interesting game just because no one really knows what to make of Baylor, you know, at all. Uh, I think that's that's going to be um, one that, that I would want to keep an eye on. And then Texas Tech, I think, you know, there's a decent chance. I don't think it happens. But if Texas Tech is 0-4 at the end of the first month of the season, which is not an impossibility, if Cliff Kingsbury is still there. I mean, Eastern Washington is not a pushover. You know, you've got Houston hanging in there. Uh, and then obviously Oklahoma State. Has got to navigate their awkward, you know, set with Tulsa, and then going to Pittsburgh, the weird midweek game at, at South Alabama, uh, and then obviously TCU, you know, going to Arkansas uh, as well. Uh, I think Texas takes care of Maryland. I'm not sure that I believe in Maryland, but uh, the Big Twelve has a really interesting slate. You know, outside of those two big ones, which I think could really hurt the Big 12's perception if they get waxed in either. There's a lot of interesting winnable games for the league.
0: On the tech deal, here's the question though: Is like, let's say. They go 0-4 to start the year. Who's interim head coach for that team?
1: Uh, That's a good question.
0: It's probably not Gibbs because the defense will probably be very culpable in these hypothetical four (laughs) losses.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to think. Who would make sense for them? Um. Yeah,
0: Maybe they they bring in uh, Jim Grobe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, bring in Jim Grobe. I mean, probably, honestly, probably just Eric Morris because the offense will probably still be okay. I mean, there's no one else that really makes sense. They're they're a young coaching staff, a lot of ex-high school coaches. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe I could see... I mean, Joe Robinson is new, but maybe he could slide in there just because he's a little bit more experienced, but... Yeah, there's no easy answer there. My my safe bet would be Eric Morris. You got a Texas Tech guy, an offensive guy. You know, uh, I think uh, I think at that point when you're zero and four, I think the season's already kind of lost anyway. Especially when you're just now getting into conference play.
0: And that may, maybe the more pressing question is how does the contract work for Kingsbury? When is the <laughs> cheapest? When is the cheapest time to fire him? And that's a good week?
1: point too. I mean that that contract. I mean, I think being Cliff Kingsbury and that contract saved him after last year, but certainly this year, I mean, they've got to make a bowl game to even have a remote case to come back, but that's that's asking a lot.
0: So Baylor-Duke, I've kind of got that written down as a loss for Baylor. Now, like you said, it's really hard to know what to make of this team, but there are a lot of indicators to me that they're probably going to be pretty bad. I've seen too many post-practice reports where Matt Rule says something like, uh, we have a soft offense and these upperclassmen are not leading the way we want. That makes me think that he's just, I'm here for a long time. I got a lot of guaranteed money in my contract. I'm happy to lose and let Bryle's guys die in the wilderness before I turn this thing on. And then Duke, I think – they were like 4-8 and eight last year or something, but they had a lot of narrow losses, and they bring mm-hmm. back their Really underrated team. Yeah. So it just looks to me like a, a major like wake-up game in Waco, potentially, of just so, oh.
1: Yeah, I, I think Baylor's ceiling is really low, but I think the thing with them is I, I think Matt Rule does really like his, his starting 22. I think beyond that, he knows they're young. He knows... You know, they, they've got to build. But if they stay healthy, it's hard for me to see them not making a bowl game. Uh, just because I think you look at, you know, there's basically going to be three teams in the Big 12, in Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas, that are just not quite on the same level. Iowa State's got some upside, but it's still going to be really hard for them to make a bowl. And Baylor, you know, for all their issues, they, they do still have a bunch of freak athletes. Um, they should be, you know, as much as the – as much. Um, scrutiny of the offensive line has gotten and they've had to move guys around i do think they're their, their, their first you know starting five can be solid but yeah it's it's I, I baylor i just think is not very interesting this year just because yeah i mean like you said they don't have a high ceiling expectations are kind of no one really cares you know as long as they're not embarrassing themselves on the field you know i think they'll you know they'll be fine and matt rules a, a nice hire for them but you know, coming off of last year, I think people saw, you know, it can get a little bit rough, but we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see how Baylor plays out. But I think, so I just think with them, the ceiling is just really low. It's hard for me to see them winning more than seven or eight games in any scenario.
0: And the league looks really tough this year. Mm-hmm. I think a, a win for them is playing a lot of teams close and showing the kind of like, Hey, here's a glimpse of what it could look like when we have a physical offense and one of the better defenses in the league. It, just embracing that is going to be a huge step in Waco to go from our, our head coach is trying to score 80 today, I guess, to rules style, which is almost the exact opposite. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, when I was talking to him um, last month, he said, you know, he straight up said, I don't know that you can have a good off or a good defense if you're running a hundred plays a game. Is that true or not? I mean, there'd be some defensive coaches, some offensive coaches in college football who disagree. Generally, that's probably true.
0: It's uh, probably true at Baylor just because, yeah, getting the kind of the kind of depth you need to play good defensive snaps, a hundred good defensive snaps is, I mean, that's insane. Even for Alabama, couldn't do that against Clemson. Yeah, and Baylor Baylor cannot field the kind of depth of Alabama fields. So.
1: Yeah, but I think too. I mean. <laughs> Their defense was good enough to win two Big 12 titles and do it relatively uh, uh, convincingly. So, you know, their defense was not necessarily, like, a juggernaut in those years, but they had a ton of playmakers. They were really physical. They, You know, uh, so... Whatever, it's a philosophical thing. He feels differently. It doesn't really matter. There's a lot of different ways to skin that cat. But, but yeah, maybe I not an that, yeah, be yeah, I just
0: think elite defense. Yeah, yeah, I
1: would agree. You can't. You probably can't have an elite defense if you're on the field 100, or if you're trying to run 100 plays. But yeah. I would say that you can be solid. And the and the flip side of this also is just that that, that, that shift in identity. You're right. You touched on is going to be jarring for Baylor because you know for most of their existence in the Big 12 their identity was the pushover and then for the rest of the time their identity was you're not going to stop us you know we're going to score 50 and if we're physically more dominant than you we're going to name our number so that's not going to be what Baylor is ever again
0: yes <laughs> it's <laughs> i do think though that the people of that town in that program i think they'll be happy to buy into any identity that works because mm-hmm. they do not want to, they do not want to go back to being, you know, the laughing stock at the wall at the water cooler, you know, in their Dallas office. Mm-hmm. So whatever, you know, whatever works, whatever gets wins, I think will do. Okay. That philosophic difference. I don't know if we want to go too far into this, but I'm really fascinated by just the Bryles philosophy of we're going to try to score as many points as we can and turn this into a, super high paced shootout versus the traditional strategy by major programs, which is to, uh, you know, slow it down and grind out wins with running the ball, playing defense kind of reminds me a little bit of those, uh, Spanish national teams that were so good and won, uh, the Euro cup twice. And the, the world cup sandwiched in between there where they would win every game, like one zero or two zero, 0 I just control the game from start to finish, but it always made me nervous on their behalf where I was like, okay, you're dominating this game, but it only takes like one penalty kick or like one mistake. And then your style just kind of blows up in your face. So I, I know that it's the established way for top teams to win is to just control the game and shorten it. But I don't know if that's actually mathematically the right way to go. If you have the superior depth and the superior athletes,
1: you're probably right about that. I, like I said, we'll we'll see how this plays out. I, I think, you know, he's done everything right so far. Um, and, and we'll, you know, there's no, I just think they're, they're certainly unpredictable. I don't think Matt Rule's like a slam dunk on the field. I think obviously culturally he's what, he, what they needed. Going outside of, you know, the Bryles tree and everything that Baylor has known, I think was a must for this hire, and they did that. And, you oh, know, he
0: is from the he is from the Paterno Sandusky. Yeah, so.
1: I did, Baylor fans got really mad about that when he. I just think it's just he just needs to never talk about Paterno. Like I understand, like he had a big influence on him, and certainly you know. But I just think you just you know some things you just I, I think for four million dollars a year, whatever they're paying him, I, I think he cannot talk about Joe Paterno. I think that's probably the right the right call and you know because i think I, I tweeted i haven't written about it and i don't think there's much to write about but i think i tweeted about it at media days when he you know somebody asked him about changing the culture and he referenced uh you know joe paterno and i'm just like yeah i mean i get it but just that's just not probably the smartest uh way to go about answering that question i just think if there's so much um that the football program has to do to to restore its sort of sensitivity to to victims and and sort of what the the previous football administration had wrought in so many ways. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, maybe that's something that he thinks about. We'll see.
0: Early on, he would mention Coughlin more and almost make it almost made it seem like he'd learned everything from Coughlin. But then he looked it up and he was only with the Giants for like one or two years. <laughs> And that's the thing. It much too, it's much more like, obvious that he learned a lot. Yeah, more from and
1: it's like and at some level he probably you know it's probably just natural and that like he probably like, I'm sure you know if you spend as much time around Paterno as he did certainly it had a great impact on you but you know you're being paid to be a representative for a school and you also have to understand how that you know how that sounds to you know the millions of other people that hear that um, especially when you're taking over Baylor. And the uh, you know they're very different situations, but they're, they're they they do share some similarities. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not good. <laughs> but I think you know it's not a big deal. I don't think it'll you know hurt him that much. But I just think yeah, it's we'll, we'll we'll see if that's something that he is more mindful of in the future.
0: All right, let's talk about my favorite my favorite topic for this year's Big Twelve. Why is Oklahoma overrated? <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty simple. I don't think – so
1: if you're talking about their roster and their depth chart, they probably are one of the five the best teams in the country. Uh, but oh, really? I do think so. I do think so. But you're talking about a brand-new coach. You're talking about a schedule that requires them to go to Ohio State, to Kansas State, to Oklahoma State, Texas on a neutral field. You really think can or you know you really think that the Oklahoma is going to get through that without at least two losses, probably more, and then just rip through the rest of their schedule? I mean, I just think you know I, I, Oklahoma reads to me like a team that that's that's going to be you know probably nine and three at the end of the year. Um, I just think that schedule and trying to, to navigate this sort of you know awkward coaching change is is not going to be as seamless as Oklahoma would like to to think it will be.
0: That's interesting. I, I have a similar impression of how their season is going to go, but I have just slightly different reasons. To me, I look at this roster where they have question marks up the middle at tackle. Like, they might be really good at tackle, but it's it's not a given. Mm-hmm. Um, they It looks like they're going to start a true freshman at middle linebacker that played a different position in high school.
1: Kenneth Murray, Andy. Is,
0: that's, that is a huge red flag to me because that is – that's every big Twelve's spread offensive coordinator. His
1: favorite
0: thing to do every week is how are we going to make this young middle linebacker look stupid this week? Yep. Their safety rotation is kind of thin. Um, they're talking about, I've heard like three different guys mentioned as, as possible starters at free safety. That's like your, the, that's like your first responder in the big 12. So it's like, you know, their fire truck has a, a hole in the wheel and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I see, and then on top of that, all the potentially awkward coaching uh, transitions on defense that that to me smells like trouble. And it's not like they were amazing on defense last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, serviceable for the most part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Oklahoma. Like I said, I just think you know they're they're the best team in the Big Twelve on paper. I think, but just all of the all of those things you add them up. It just smells like a disappointing year, especially when Oklahoma State is going to be good enough to make a lot of noise. Kansas State is going to somehow sneak up on people again. Uh, Yeah, I think, like I said, I've got Oklahoma State and Kansas State playing for the Big 12 title.
0: Oh, wow. That is a – that would be a really interesting outcome.
1: I got Oklahoma State. I just think, uh, you know, Mike Gundy has matched up well with with Bill Snyder over the years, and uh, that offense – and I really think this offense is going to be on that 2010-2011 Justin Blackman, Brandon Whedon, Joseph Randall level. I think it's going to be that good with Justice Hill and uh, James Washington and, and Mason Rudolph. Maybe Rudolph isn't quite as prolific as or as accurate as as Whedon was. He could be. Um, and maybe James Washington is not quite the same game-changer as Justin Blackman. But Justice Hill is just as good, if not better, than Joseph Randall. Their offensive line should be... Almost as good, but the receiving core as a whole is significantly better than that 2010 2011 team. And I think that having that many options opens things up for James Washington, gives Mason Rudolph a lot uh, uh, a a lot to do in the offensive, uh, or a lot of options offensively. And I think they're they're going to be you know there's a chance this could be the highest scoring team in the country.
0: The Oklahoma State offense they're so difficult to account for just because they have Washington, like you said, Hill. You figure will be good again. Uh, and then McCleskey in the slot, and then all these other experienced veterans outside. It's just very difficult for teams, I think, to uh, get the numbers everywhere on the field they need to be. And it just the uh, the Wheaton offense is a pretty good, pretty good comp. Maybe a little bit less star power, but then a little more around it. Mm-hmm. What I think would be a fun end of the year is if uh, Kansas State gets in Snyder out with a championship.
1: That would be fun.
0: I I joked about it'd be it'd be interesting if he like had to leave for part of the year and then uh came back and managed to coach like one final game in the Big Twelve title game.
1: That's probably the for I mean, the for the for story purposes.
0: story
1: purposes, <laughs> that probably is the best story for the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean we'll see how this plays out once the season gets started, but yeah, Kansas State that's a real concern going into this year.
0: Okay, David, as a final note, what do you think will be the story in Texas this year in first the first year under Tom Herman.
1: I mean uh I don't know that I'm quite as optimistic as uh one Chip Brown but I do think Texas <laughs> I do think Texas has some upside. I think the story is just going to be I think they I think they they beat someone they shouldn't. Uh I think they lose a game they shouldn't. Um but I think they get moving back in the right direction. 8 or 9 wins and I think the story is Texas is a Big 12 title, if not a front runner, a contender in 2018. I'm a believer in Tom Herman. Uh, I just think that culturally, offensively, back in Texas, recruiting-wise, I mean, it's a slam dunk for Texas. Uh, they've got a great roster. Um, you know, they'll have to figure some stuff out, get some different fits in there, but certainly a team that... Uh, I think will be relevant and interesting this year. And I think the story is just Tom Herman sort of building them back in the right direction.
0: I'll tell you three things I think we might see from, from Texas this year that are some of the big storylines. I think the defense will be very good. I, I see the f- season unfolding exactly like you described where they, maybe they win a big one that no one picked them to win. Like maybe they beat up Oklahoma uh, who's, who's shocked again by the physicality or um, or maybe they, you know, maybe they beat Oklahoma State or Kansas State at home. Um, but then I, I think they will lose some games. At least one they shouldn't because of depth.
1: Iowa State, look out!
0: Oh man, hopefully not <laughs> Iowa State. <laughs> as long as it's not Kansas, <laughs> I guess.
1: I can't be Kansas, but Iowa Can State, I look out!
0: Tom Herman needs to make a rule in that locker room where it's like, if we ever lose to Kansas under my watch, then you're all gone. You're, you're all, all gonna you're all going to do X and X is some like horribly brutish punishment <laughs> that c- cannot get out in the media or else he would get into trouble. But that's, oh, what, that's what he should do. Uh, and then the other thing I think could happen this year is um, Shane Bouchel is hurt. Sam Ellinger comes in, takes over, doesn't give the job back or Ellinger starts to come in over the course of the game, just as a, a runner like Tebow, Mm-hmm. And ends up either emerging as a potential starter or creating a potential controversy for next season. Yeah,
1: you know, that's I, probably. I'm happening. a big
0: fan of Bouchelle, but Ellinger is fit. The, he's the ideal fit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Jt Barrett, Greg Ward. I mean, it's Braxton Miller. It's that's Sam Ellinger.
0: You know, so we'll see. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Expansion Candidate. Uh, David, tell everybody where they can find you, and tell us again where, where to find this uh, Flyover Country site where you're covering. Yeah, the
1: so sportsonearth.com, and then uh, Flyover Country is just patreon.com uh, backslash Flyover Country. You can see plenty of the content. Follow me on Twitter uh, at David Uben, just David U B B E N, and uh, you can definitely find uh, Flyover Country stuff there.
0: Well, thanks again for coming on. That'll be it for this week. You can find me, Ian Boyd, on Twitter at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd or on com, where I try to cover the Big 12 as well as David does. Thanks for listening.